Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. DevOps engineer, Justin Dennison. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, joined by Don, Justin, and Daniel, and I'm just introing them briefly today because we have so much to get to on this packed show. We actually mentioned last week there was a, a hurricane uh, running up the East Coast, and it actually delayed our guests from last week, so we have not one but two guests on this week's show. We're going to be talking with John Prisco uh, from Quantum Exchange in a little bit, but first we are joined by Sam Rubin, who's the Vice President of the Cripsis Group. Sam, how you doing? Hey, good to be here. Good to have you. And so, uh, yeah, you're joining us all the way from Los Angeles, and it looks uh, looks lovely there, and looks like you're actually in a real office, which is uh, something I think a lot of people are probably jealous of. Real office, believe it or not, not a uh, not a virtual background here. It actually looks like what a virtual background could look like, though. Very nice uh, <laughs> modern office space there. But uh, uh, Sam, let's just jump right in and uh, and do our first segment here and get to know you a little bit more with rapid fire questions. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, Sam, so we have a five-minute segment. One minute, 45 seconds to answer the questions. We're going to go round robin. If you go over time, Peter's going to buzz you, and we're going to move on. Peter's going to take our first question. All right, so, Sam, uh, start with a little softball for you. So what is the Crypsis Group exactly? What do you guys do out there? Sure. So we're a cybersecurity consulting firm, and... Um, we're about 150 people, and what we really do is specialize in data breach incident response. Uh, we help companies respond to se severe cyber incidents, and so we've got a team of folks every day helping companies respond from uh, matters ranging from you know insider threats um, all the way up to nation-state threat actors, um, you know, hacking organizations. So that's what we're doing, and uh, then we also help them. Uh, you know, um, secure their, their perimeter and their organization so things like that don't happen again. So I did a little bit of internet snooping and I found out that you used to be an intern in the Senate. And how do you <laughs> go did. from the Senate to digital forensics expert? How does that work? So the, yeah, you definitely went uh, way back in the archives there. Um, back in, I think 2002 or three, my first job out of college was uh, in the U.S. Senate. And um, you know, at the time I was kind of looking to move up and move on in my career, very early days. And um, I had the good fortune of working with an attorney um, who then went on to open uh, the Washington DC uh, office of a cybersecurity company called Straws Friedberg. And so that's really where I got my start back in 2003, uh, kind of learning the ropes um, and dove into digital forensics there with Straws Friedberg. Um, helping helping companies investigate cybercrime. You know, I, honestly, if you're going to learn about where to hide and conceal data, where better to learn it than the U.S. government? <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, That's right. You know, I, I know that at, at Cripsis, you guys get classified as an MSSP, you know, a, a managed security solution provider. And so you, uh, you help people with a, a wide range of services. But I, I'm always curious, in your opinion, when you go out to a, an organization and, and start to work to provide those services, what is like the one most critical thing that the one thing that every company should have what you know, that you look for first when you go to help somebody out? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the foundational thing that we're seeing with a lot of organizations is they just don't have a robust security operations function, right? Like 
we we're, we're normally introduced to many of our clients through incident response. And what we find is, you know, they either don't have the tools, like they don't have endpoint detection response, or they don't have logging, or they don't have SIMs, or even where they do, they're kind of poorly uh, managed, um, mismanaged, or just it was kind of a set and forget type thing. And so what we found is that, you know, companies uh, need that security operations function, they need continuous monitoring. And then in terms of what is kind of the best um, return on investment or highest priority, I would lean towards the endpoint. Um, and so we do a lot of focus on endpoint monitoring, endpoint detection and response. Um, it's really the area we consider and look at the most when we're doing incident response. And it's a great point to manage from a threat detection standpoint as well. Now, Sam, I saw that uh, it was an article I was seeing that was about you discussing the rise of vishing attacks during the pandemic. Uh, other than vishing, what else have you seen uh, go on a rise or what do you predict is uh, going to be something we actually need to be looking out for uh, because of this pandemic? Yeah, you know, I think that COVID has really been an accelerator for a lot of trends that were, you know, already here, already with us. So obviously remote work, um, but also things like migration to the cloud, right? Like people are are using this um, because they need their employees to work remotely. Maybe they're they're moving more quickly with migrating to the cloud, whether it's SaaS applications or AWS or Azure or Google Cloud. And unfortunately, um, even though these platforms are very convenient, sometimes the functionality is running ahead of the security, right? So can, everything from configuration to um, just the monitoring, as I mentioned, is not keeping pace. And so that's one of the things that we're seeing is cloud migration, but with security kind of lagging behind. Now, speaking of, of fads, I know you also wrote uh, a little article about TikTok. And so this is just more of a <laughs> personal question. Uh, I just want to know your prediction. Do you think I will still be having to do TikTok dances with my daughter uh, in, in you know uh, two months? Or do you, do you think it's yeah. not going to get sold off? So I, I think I think you will. And I think you secretly enjoy it <laughs> and you maybe <laughs> okay. pretend otherwise. Yeah. But no, but uh, seriously, I think TikTok will be with us. Um, I would not be surprised if there's like a last minute, um, you know, white knight that rides in uh, to make uh, the operations, um, you know, US based. Um, and even if not, you know, in this day and age, it's really hard to, to stop, um, you know, users from doing what they want. So um, I think you would see people kind of circumventing some of the controls that um, the US government might put in or could hypothetically put in to try and make it harder. Yeah, if my daughter asked me how to install a VPN on her phone, I'm not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> do, do you think the administration might back down? Or because I'm always curious about this. Like, you know, here's this this one company being singled out for being Chinese owned, but there are hundreds, thousands of other products that are like that. So, are we going to move to a future where we can't use software with any Chinese ties? Yeah, I think that that that's a pretty uh, bold step. Um, you know, I'm certainly not a policy, um, you know, expert, but. They are, they are kind of drawing a line in the sand. Um, so, um, you know, doesn't what the Trump administration does is I think on, on any topic, anybody's guess, right? So what's on the dartboard on the wall that he's throwing it, we yeah. don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I think you mentioned um, in your article too, it was, was it Reddit that also had taken money from the same uh, investment company that owns TikTok or was? 
Yeah, I mean, look, like in a global economy, I, I don't care if you're talking about, you know, Reddit, TikTok, Microsoft. I mean, companies have in, international operations and they operate in the U.S., they operate in China. Um, and that's just the reality of doing business. So, I, you know, I don't know if it's how fair it necessarily is to kind of, um, you know, put all the blame on um, TikTok and their parent company, ByteDance. Fight dance, I believe it is, um, when, you know, or this is just the way organize, organizations operate in, in today's world. Yeah. Who bought Vine? Was that Twitter? Twitter, yeah, Twitter yeah, bought does it. That, and, and so if TikTok goes away, is that Twitter's, like, they're like, oh man, here we go, we're gonna bring Vine back. Well, Vine's already dead, right? If it was that easy to kill off, I can't imagine it'll come back. They'd have to resuscitate I mean, it. And it'd be effectively <laughs> the, the same thing. service. We gotta get Barry yeah, and think, Trump. Yeah. Go ahead. Instagram has already, uh, I think they're really trying to release their, you know, TikTok killer app as well. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of people making moves in that area. And the millennials, they don't like Zuckerberg so much. I don't know. We'll see. We will see. But uh, thank you for your prediction. We'll, uh, we'll circle back and, and either applaud you or make fun of it in uh, a couple of months. <laughs> uh, but let's go ahead and get to the news. Uh, we have a lot of news to get to. And Sam, we want to keep you around for it because it is really uh, uh, security focused this week. So you can really help us out here. So uh, our first article is from ZDNet.com. A hacker leaks passwords for 900 plus enterprise VPN servers. And this list has been shared now. It says to Russian speaking on a Russian speaking hacker forum frequented by multiple ransomware gangs. So even more reason that I'm not going to put a VPN on my daughter's phone then, I guess. Yeah, now there are some limits on this, so we don't want everyone to panic. Uh, first off, they are entirely made up of uh, Pulse Connect Secure VPN locations. So if you're an enterprise and you are using Pulse VPN, that's like that's the one common element that everybody on the list had. Uh, there was a well-documented exploit available on those VPN concentrators that uh, was really released last year in 2019. So you should have patched for but it turns out plenty of people hadn't patched for it, and the attackers were able to use that to pull basically everything out of the firewall, a full username and password list, uh, passwords in plain text, configuration files, all sorts of other resources to completely open up the firewall. Now, attacking the firewall is not that big of a deal. Once somebody gets into the firewall, though, they can then target the internal machines, and that's where the ransomware gangs come in. So this is basically 900-plus enterprises, because, you know, small businesses aren't buying these things. So 900-plus enterprises that are now just waiting for a ransomware attack to happen. So if you run Pulse Secure VPN, this is a big deal. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you yeah. telling me someone didn't run updates and patch? <laughs> it happens. That, that is absolutely crazy. It's like there's a yeah. whole enterprise of Peters. I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to we, uh, I, you know, at Crypsis, one of the uh, most common, um, you know, IR types we do is ransomware, and the most common vector there, uh, you know, phishing, and is pro probably number one, but number two is insecure remote access, and so this type of thing, you know, yes, absolutely is going to lead to ransomware attacks. Unfortunately, um, the scary ones, the ones that we see that really kind of make ripple effects are those that um, essentially target uh, MSPs, right? So if, if one of these guys is using one of these concentrators, um, it's not only they that are impacted, but, you know, all their downstream clients. So just something to look out for. This is why I keep my telnet without a password as up to date as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, what do you guys do to protect against something like that? I mean, is everything segmented then at, at your company? Yeah, so um, as an MSSP, um, we we are really leveraging um, a lot of cloud tech. So, 
you know, tools like Carbon Black, um, like some of the other cloud stack that, you know, we don't even necessarily need to have remote access as opposed to, you know, interfacing through uh, APIs um, that put a good layer in, in between. I want to know how I get in one of these uh, uh, ransomware gangs. <laughs> do they, it's blood in, blood out. Do, yeah, do they jump you in like, uh, yeah, you like got to kill a you got to kill a Microsoft machine. Uh -huh. and then. Yeah. I mean, kid, uh, parents are sending their kids to you know Ivy League schools to get computer science degrees, and they're still joining gangs. Yes, yeah. you'll, you'll be glad to know, Peter. I'm working on. Uh, I got Donzel Foscam. I'm I'm gonna hack it and we'll we'll fiddle around with that. So, so I've, I've, I know my, you've been my begging Foscam for that. is unplugged right now yeah. <laughs> and it's in a drawer. But you let me know when to turn it back on and I will I will set it up and I want to see you get into there. <laughs> that way you can watch me make brownies. I want to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do a live uh, live hacking demonstration of my home. Uh, and here's Peter in some underwear. <laughs> just throwing the router out the window after that and just calling it a day. Uh, all right, let's jump over to our next article, which is over at securityboulevard.com. Uh, Chrome Web Store fail, 300 plus more scam browser extensions. And so, uh, Don, is this actually in the official uh, Google Play Store and not one of the you know jailbroken kind of stores that you uh, can get you no, know, third party apps in? This is in the actual Chrome extension store, the Chrome Web Store. Yeah, uh, you know, one of the promises that we have when we use an app store, like the Apple App Store or the, the Google Play Store, which would be for the Android phones, or in this case, the Chrome Web Store, which is just designed for your desktop browser, is that Google and Apple are actually doing a review of all the different applications that are uploaded and keeping you safe, scanning for malware, removing keyloggers, things like that. And, and they do, they, they do that to an extent, but they're not perfect. And today we get a glance of how not perfect they are. Uh, and this scenario over, 300 scam browser extensions were removed from the Chrome Web Store, the official Google Chrome Web Store. That means they all passed the very minor amount of review. I mean, it's the effect, uh, the same effect as running them through VirusTotal, and that's about it. Uh, so in this case, these were various extensions that would uh, monitor key logging, send information about your websites that you visited to other servers, servers in other countries, uh, you know, just every kind of uh, I, actually, I think a lot of these were focused on uh, crypto mining, cryptocurrency and seizing Bitcoin wallets, just a lot of crazy stuff that's going on behind the scenes. And it shows that we really can't put our trust in a single provider. Like we can't just say, well, Google's going to protect me because in this case, I, I think we see that they're just not able to keep up with that. This is one of those things because they used to have like the web store used to have extensions, applications, and then like another category. They got rid of applications, which essentially opened up another browser. They were like, eh, I don't know, it's getting weird. But I can't tell you how many times like I've had students who are like, my, my web app that I'm building is doing something weird. And I go, open the, open the console. And I just see all these like And then I start looking at the source and the source is changing. And I go, oh, this extension is injecting JavaScript code on this page. And you yeah. can actually just watch it like update. And I was like, nah, I don't. So that's I think fine. the only extension I use is LastPass. And then who knows? Maybe that's not even the do, best. But do you think this is at all COVID related? Like they have just a <laughs> backlog of no? I mean seriously, that that I mean people are normally checking these extensions and they've just got a backlog and are trying to just rush them through. No, so I, I, the extension, like when you build an extension, you you have a fair amount of power from the extension part, and there's mm -hmm. not, from what I've seen, not like super strict guidelines about what's going on and what kind of review goes through. I did find it interesting that uh, one of the people that they were quoting in the article was saying, I used to look at how many people were using the extension as a, 
basically a litmus test on whether or not it's legit. He goes, then I remembered people are dumb. <laughs> so I figured I can't really learn anything good from that. Yeah. So I'm going to try something else. Yeah. Now, I, I think Sam had mentioned a minute ago that like endpoint security is what helps protect us more from this, where you have people who are genuinely concerned about security versus like Google, where they're more concerned about ad revenue and uh, uh, what is it? Telemetry and all the other things they collect. So, um, so Sam, in this case, like, uh, do you guys, uh, you mentioned Carbon Black, I guess, right? Is that the sure. endpoint security you recommend, or do you guys work with different vendors? Yeah, we are we, uh, relatively tool agnostic. We do, if we if we come to a client and they don't have anything in place, um, right now we're bringing in Carbon Black as our preferred, but, you know, if they've got a different tool already in place, um, we, can, we can integrate with that as well. Uh, but yeah, to your point about, you know, the risk of these browser extensions, um, one thing is about how, how you control workstations in, in the enterprise, at least, you know, that's not going to help people at home, but, you know, I'm sure as you guys have discussed many times, like, you know, how many, how many permissions, um, and how lax do you want to be on allowing your user base to just, you know, grab different things out there and, and update their, their operating system and their browsers. This is why I still run Internet Explorer 8, because you can't have Chrome extensions in the IE8. <laughs> That's a great plan. <laughs> uh, just FYI, I feel, I feel compelled to say this. All the, the stuff that I've said on this podcast, just don't do this. <laughs> like, like, I feel like someone's like, Justin said run IE8. Well, you can't know, have man. a problem I, if I you run like IE8. I feel like developers will work on something and it doesn't work in IE8. Do you think hackers are the same way where they're like, well, I made this code, but you know, I just cannot get it to work in so IE8. What's really it. odd is like IE8 ended up being like a potential vector because they had all these like specialized applications that you had to write for IE8, and they were in yeah. large enterprises, i.e. like our local school system, hmm. um, up until recently, and people were like, oh, I just clicked on it. Wow, my stuff is taken over. That is not <laughs> There's your problem. I broke we, the network. We actually see uh, user agent strings for older browsers oftentimes as a telltale indicator of uh, threat actor activity, you know, attacking web apps because, you know, they'll build a lot of their automation on, you know, with some of these older browsers. Well, there you go. So not protecting yourself that way, Justin, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, well, no, I, I'm not automating anything. I'm using IE8 or Netscape Navigator. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Netscape Navigator, yeah. I'm sorry. I haven't heard that name in, in years. Yeah. Since yeah. this I mean, morning if I, when if I turned I'm, his computer on. If I'm really paranoid, <laughs> it's IE6, baby. <laughs> yeah, sure, I can't see any of the websites I'm going to And also. JavaScript yeah. doesn't work. And also, what is it? Oh, I still got, hmm, got hacked. That's weird. Fires up like Mosaic and only gets the <laughs> HTML1 support. Yeah. That's, I, why, I, that's why I use that Lynx browser. Yeah, man. the Lynx. Lynx. <laughs> if it doesn't that run Flash, well. I don't want to see it. Uh, all right, let's uh, head over now to Tom'sHardware.com for a big one, massive 20 gigabyte Intel IP data breach floods the internet, mentions backdoors, and update, Intel responds. Uh, an anonymous hacker also promises more to come soon. Uh, Don, do you know uh, what Intel's response was to this? Uh, so basically, the, the hacker is claiming that they compromised Intel's network, and while they were in there, they managed to secure 20 gigabytes of confidential intellectual property from Intel. Information on the processors, on the management engine, the SDKs, just tons and tons of information about how the, the Intel systems work, which is gold. If you are a hacker, if you're a, you know, a, a black hat hacker, somebody who is trying to take advantage of this, compromise as many systems as possible, 
this is the type of documentation where you learn about the inner working of the processor. Which could lead to like the Spectre meltdown kind of stuff, right? Right. Okay. So what Intel did is they came out with a, an official statement that's fairly vague where they're basically saying that, yeah, that, that's legit information that's there, but the hacker didn't compromise our network. So they're saying, nope, nobody broke into our network. But yeah, that, that's that's our, our data. <laughs> so um, hmm, <laughs> the, the, the thing that gets them, a, they get a get-out-of-jail-free card on this thing because Intel has a number of companies they have partnerships with. And those companies, through a, a non-disclosure agreement and licensing agreements and things like that, get access to all of this information from Intel. And so then if one of them were to get hacked the hacker would have access to that data and they could say they breached Intel without actually doing it. I, I think it's pretty unlikely that Intel was hacked because they bought McAfee antivirus. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think we all know that that's like, that's the, the top level yeah. security. Until you brought up the other companies. <laughs> For some reason, the only thing that was sticking my, yes, those are my underwear, but no one broke into my house, well, I promise. Reminds me, I grew up in St. Augustine, Florida, and we had the alligator farm about a mile from, from my parents' house. And there were times when alligators would escape and then people would call and they'd be like, no, it's not our alligator. They're like, well, this is a, a pygmy Taiwanese, you know, alligator. Is that <laughs> and he's drinking all my beer. Yeah, is, is that yours? Uh, no, no. Yeah. We had one, though. We don't have that one yeah. anymore. So every time I see something about back doors, for some reason, Gordon Lightfoot, y'all know who Gordon Lightfoot yeah. is? Yeah, yeah the, the, the sundown. The yeah. Oh, if, yeah. If you've been, uh, was it, uh, creeping around my back stair, I don't know why that is. I'm like, I don't, yeah. Gordon Lightfoot is putting out press releases left and right. <laughs> Someone's <laughs> been creeping around uh, Intel's back stairs. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. Getting there. So you're not buying it. So uh, anyhow, uh, the, the data is legitimate. And what this means is that a lot of the stuff that the management engine does, you know, this hardware that is built into the CPU that you can't touch, you're not even supposed to see, uh, attackers are going to learn a lot more about how it functions. Now, does that mean a bad thing? Well, we'll have to see. Even Spectre and, and Meltdown, you couldn't just like remotely apply those. You had to have some other vector that got you into a network, got you onto a machine before you could take advantage of them. So I'm not, like this isn't the sky is falling level, but it's just something to be aware of that we're probably gonna have more sophisticated attacks by this time next year. So I was, I read this article, I actually found this article pretty interesting. And the article was saying that the hacker was basically pointing out, hey, search through this code that we have here and you'll see references to backdoors. Here is a example of that. And, and would, would post an example. Plus they said that the uh, zip files, if you find this out in the wild, those zip files to get into them, the password is Intel123. By the way, I didn't set that. That's how it was <laughs> when I found it. Well, in, in their defense, sometimes the I in Intel was capitalized. That's yeah. true. So. Oh, it was. That's and super secure. At seven letters, no one will ever guess nah. that. Seven characters. I mean, it took me a good two minutes to get through that. So, with all this intellectual property released, you know, some behind the scenes, could you? Do you think someone could maybe leverage this for a job after all the restructuring from the seven nanometer debacle? Like, you'd be like, maybe. I've been looking at your IP that I illegally acquired. And uh, I found that uh, all of y'all are wrong. I'm going to come in and be like, I got an idea, guys. Four nanometers. <laughs> <laughs> Revolutionary. I know the five wasn't working. Uh, yeah. What it's, if we went down to four? I just kept thinking of uh, there's something about Mary when he picked up the hitchhiker and he's like, I've got six minute six abs. Minute abs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that makes uh, a lot of sense. Well, I think, we, I think we've beaten this story to death. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, so let's head over uh, back to ZDNet, actually. 
um, for our next article. Hackers are defacing Reddit with pro-Trump messages. A massive hack hits Reddit. And so there are uh, just a laundry list here of subreddits that basically they've gone in and, you know, each subreddit has its own little look with banners and things like that. And they have uh, gone in and it's it's all MAGA all the time in there. So, um, Don, how did how did, you, <laughs> did you come across this in the wild or just in the article? Uh, I actually came across it in the article first. Um, the... Uh, I learn a little bit from every article that I read, and in this one, I didn't learn so much about the attack because the attack was pretty straightforward, right? Uh, there were a lot of moderators in these subreddits that were using no uh, multi-factor authentication, so they just had username and password, and they were doing password reuse, so passwords that were used on other sites that got hacked. So. The attack is not very sophisticated. And, and a lot of mods moderate a lot of subs. So yeah. if you get into one mods account, you might have. And I, I guess yeah. that kind of leads you to the most sophisticated part of this attack is that they did it all simultaneously. So they modified all these different subreddits. So what I really learned, though, was that not only did people like the Buffy the Vampire Slayer show, <laughs> but they actually have a subreddit for that and its spinoff Angel, which I was surprised even existed in the first place. The show, better yet, the subreddit. So uh, they hit a ton of subreddits, including r slash lockpicking, r slash beer, very important one. Um, some strange ones, like r slash Japan. Uh, so not <laughs> quite sure why you'd want Japanese a lot, a lot of expats, vote for Trump. A lot of expats <laughs> live in there. Yeah. So, military um, bases. But it does show you that Reddit is is consistently in the top five of internet sites visited in the world. So it is one of the highest profile websites, and this was a low sophistication attack, and it was really just a prank here at this point. But think about the malicious things they could have done through the use of JavaScript and CSS and things like that, that you could potentially put a payload into a subreddit's homepage and really cause some damage. So hopefully this is an eye opener to moderators to you know use multi-factor authentication. It, it, was it so much defacing as, maybe it was a marketing campaign. Was it was oh, it was part it of the, the campaign? Oh yeah, you gotta give equal time though. Yeah. Oh. So mm -hmm. we'll, we'll see the other side. <laughs> yeah, I would feel yeah. really weird so, if next week, people were defacing Reddit with Joe Biden stuff. <laughs> Yeah, so, sometimes attacks like this are, um, and I don't know if it's in the, tied to the, any political campaigns, but in advertising and in, in the shadier parts of advertising is tied to, you know, affiliate marketing traffic where, you know, if they have access to sites and they can do this, something like this, they could end up, you know, getting more clicks and links uh, to try and generate ad revenue in a kind of unscrupulous way. I wonder if some of that's tied to this. Yeah, I... I I don't know if stuff was actually clickable or. Come on, marketer, yeah. tell us. Yeah. Or even even imp even impressions, right? Oh, yeah, that's like true. If, if that's, that's true. their, if Peter, that's the model. Peter actually performed this hack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of the other ones that were hit: uh, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, mm -hmm. uh, Great British Bake Off. Looks like they hit a number of TV shows. Man, my wife uh, loves that show. Yeah. Well, again, I think that's probably the same moderator moderates a lot of those same channels. I'm assuming. <laughs> certainly, certainly possible. I'm not Japan too. Drag Race and <laughs> British Bake Off. The great, it's all the, same the great guy. Japanese drag off. What, <laughs> what amazes me is not only did they get r slash no 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 no, but they also got r slash no 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 yes. Yeah, you got to you know, fair and balanced, right? Yeah. yeah. So they got um, both of them. What, what the hell are those about? That's where it's like you're watching a GIF and like everything's going uh, bad, and then all of a sudden it turns turns good. In okay, the so uh, Peter no, subscribed no, no, no. to the subreddit. So, okay, gotcha. Oh yeah, I'm, well I'm yeah. on no 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 yes I think. They also got uh, Pokemon Go Battle League got hit. Uh, oh, this sounds like a neat one. R slash shit Americans say. Mm-hmm. 
That sounds like a fun huh. subreddit. That's really <laughs> just this podcast. <laughs> all the things Americans say, make America great again. So yeah. maybe they just blent in and they didn't even notice. Well, the other one was r slash uh, leaves, the Toronto Maple Leafs page. Again, they're not eligible to vote here. <laughs> well, there is massive email or mail-in voter fraud, right? So maybe oh, that's, that's it. that's true. Yeah, was it, it comes like, back with a Canadian post. Was it one, <laughs> one out of five or something like that was was disregarded or something? Yeah, who knows? Well, <laughs> we're not getting into politics. On this show, oh, you dare just let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Peter's throwing the gauntlet down. Yeah. Let's like, start a I, fight. I already magged up all of Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well do something else. I think oh. I can refocus you with this next article uh, from Ars Technica. <laughs> yeah, this is a good one. Is that the headline we want to go with, Don? The Ars Technica headline? Um, sure. We'll start there. <laughs> we'll start there. Uh, more risque headlines. <laughs> Zoom bomber <laughs> crashes court hearing on Twitter hack with Pornhub video. Uh, judge in Twitter hack case didn't set password and had to shut down the Zoom hearing. And you know, I, I don't rarely, or I don't say this often, but I feel like I'm completely capable of this hack because he didn't. <laughs> he, he did not set a password. You totally are. He did uh, did not put a, a waiting room, and he. Gave uh, people who joined the ability to share their screens and and Those to take over, clicks. right? That's, that's to take like take over the screen. Yeah, to yeah. you can yeah. set where they cannot screen share, and yeah. that's pretty so simple. This is a real problem that's with all of these organizations. As a response to the the COVID pandemic, have jumped to online. You know, now you're having court trials that are happening via Zoom, which people wouldn't have even conceived of a year ago. Uh, and they're just not deploying it securely, and they end up in situations like this where the, the trial actually had to be postponed. So now it's it's tampered with the processes of justice, which honestly is, is kind of a worst-case scenario for them. So, uh, you know, Sam, for you guys, have you had people reaching out for help with setting up this kind of online stuff, or does this fall back to the incident response? They, they go online, they get hacked, and then they come to you. Well, it would be more of a, you know, post-incident um, event, but I got to say that, you know, we haven't had any Zoom bombing um, matters. I think it's just one of those things, like you say, where it's like, look, you know, there's a way to configure the platform and you just need to be smart about it and, and set it up right. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily require a team of, um, you know, seasoned incident responders to help. I think I'm going to disagree. <laughs> you said you got to be smart about it, and the whole plan just fell apart. Right yeah, there. yeah. That was like, yeah. it's a bunch of lawyers. We're talking about Tampa, Florida. In addition to, <laughs> this was this was the court hearing for a previous the Twitter like, hack. Something that, yeah, yeah, this the, is the, the right? Twitter hack we that talked we covered. About. Yeah. These are the guys, um, the one in, in Tampa, the one in Orlando, and I think the one over in the UK. Yeah. Uh, they got into Elon Musk, Joe Biden, uh, Barack Obama, and, all those. those and accounts. they did pick an interesting type of pornography to share on the screen. <laughs> yeah. Bass eating? We'll put, we'll put a link to that in the uh, in You've the got YouTube a fish and this attractive years. lady. <laughs> but uh, And a weird. <laughs> well, what's crazy, too, to me, I, I, I made the mistake of watching the video that's in the Vice article. Oh, you did? Of the, <laughs> yeah, which is of, it's just a, a, you know, screen grab of the Zoom meeting. And so you got people jumping in yelling about um, Bitcoin and, and things, and then it goes uh, to the, uh, the adult section, which is <laughs> fun. Adult. But what, what's crazy is you hear the judge going, sorry, I'm trying to remove him as quick as they come in so the judge he cannot be focusing on what is being he's like said guilty whatever he's, he's like hold, oh, yeah hold on i'm getting this guy out of here for Wait, doing this that, are we opening up a new career field this is like the e-bailiff right so like uh, the, the bailiff, bailiff would take yeah. if you were disrupting the courtroom the bailiff would take you out so now we need cybersecurity security e i'm thinking yeah. bull from uh, yeah. night court yes yeah. and, and so we put like you in a breakout room and pipe pornography to you and don't <laughs> let you turn it off <laughs> 
Yeah, they need like a like a honeypot meeting that they set up. Yeah. That they just let things run wild, yeah. and then they jump into the other. I real think that's Zoom called meeting. Reddit. Now <laughs> they did actually have an interesting argument. You know, in, in Florida, we have the Sunshine Law and uh, Freedom of Information and all of that. So court trials are open to the public, and if you have a Zoom room and close it off, like with a password it's not open to the public anymore. Mm -hmm. So even when they assign a password, they still distribute the password to the press and to anybody who asks for it. So if somebody <laughs> wants to Zoom bomb, they just ask for the password. So I don't know how they're gonna solve this. I think they're gonna have to not have the trial via Zoom, but we'll, we'll see what they come up with. So I will tell you, I was, uh, I was standing near someone who had to attend a, uh, a traffic case Via was Zoom. it your, your yeah, attorney? Yeah, it was here. <laughs> it was, was yeah, uh, and I tell you, not only did they not know how to do it, all the other participants did not know how to mute their microphone. Oh, <laughs> there were like children yelling and stuff, and he's like, ah, so you were going 55, and what is going on over there? Oh, yeah. Are you calling in from your car? Yeah. It was, How fast yeah, are you that, going that, uh, that sounds very much like my son's uh, four-year-old classroom. Oh, yeah. you know, they're, they're doing the same thing. Yeah, that's all teachers are doing now, is just saying, uh, you know, John, mute your mic. John, that's you. We can see you. Yeah, that's... Uh, Maybe a little verbal abuse to straighten them out. <laughs> yeah. if for the court, we'll let the for... moron mute his mic real quick. <laughs> yeah, that's how you lose your teacher now, license. Just, just to clarify, <laughs> Listen, I got a, a non-essential, isn't it? I don't know. I work here. <laughs> would, this, uh, would this guy sharing the Pornhub video, would he be um, guilty of... Uh, uh, I don't think that's fair use. No, what's, public what's obscenity. The court, uh, oh, you mean for copyright or for obscenity? <laughs> No, for like disrupting a, a court hearing. Oh, oh contempt, contempt of court. Contempt of court. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I mean, yeah I probably think that would be so. hard pressed. To, like if there were kids and stuff. I just, like how do they employ it? Because that was something I was thinking of when I heard these like children yelling in the background over during the other court cases. Hmm. It's like, do you give them a warning? And then you say, well, yep. now you're... Prison. Well, I think that brings up yeah. Don's e-bailiff idea, right? That the, they're sitting there with the ability to mute microphones and, and the whole nine yards. That's what we need. There's the solution. Good job, Don. There we go. Remote yeah. electric charge. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my name out there for that. You get malware if you don't mute your microphone. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Sam. Uh, well, thanks so much for, uh, for your help on all those, uh, those stories. But uh, how do people uh, find out a little bit more about the Crypsis Group if they want to uh, engage with you guys, possibly? Yeah, sure. Uh, CrypsisGroup.com uh, on the uh, great wide Internet is probably the easiest way. Uh, or follow us, um, you know, on, on check us out on LinkedIn. Uh, I think it's just slash Crypsis Group. Um, probably two quick ways there. Cool. You guys got anything uh, coming up in terms of events or, or announcements? Anything you want to share? You know, a lot's changed uh, in these uh, COVID times. That, yeah. We used to yeah do a lot <laughs> more, uh, you know, at the, the black hats and, and things like that. Um, but um, we uh nothing nothing big on the horizon in those those uh in that respect you know we do have our heads down just uh you know fighting cybercrime. that's our job every day so keeps us busy all right well um thank you again for for taking the time with us today uh and I, I know it's your, it's your lunch hour over there in yeah. la so and everybody out there uh remember it's kind of better to reach out to people like the Crypsis group prior to Beforehand. getting uh, an incident, but uh, you can always do it after an incident if necessary. Yeah. <laughs> you are allowed to pregame incidents. <laughs> it probably costs more after the incidents. Uh, right, I would, I would assume. Yeah. That would make sense. And when in doubt, just oh, download a bunch of Chrome extensions. Y'all waited. 
that's going to cost you. All right, well, Sam, thanks for taking the time with us today. And uh, thank you, everybody, for watching. But stay tuned. Like I said, we've got more Technado coming up right after this break. So stick around. This is Josh. Josh spent $2,500 on a week of classroom training for CompTIA A+, and got certified. Josh got a good job that pays $40,000 per year. This is Jeremy. Jeremy only spent $299 on a full year of training from IT Pro TV, including A+, and 300 other courses. Jeremy also got a great job that pays $40,000 per year. Jeremy used the more than $2,200 he saved on IT training for a fabulous tropical vacation. Now Jeremy is still using his IT Pro TV membership to study for Network Plus and Security Plus to advance his career, but not spending any more money. Since all three are included in his IT Pro TV membership, plus 300 more courses. Don't be like Josh. Choose IT Pro TV for your IT training. All right, welcome back to TechNado with Don Brissett, and we are now joined by John Prisco. John, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, and uh, you, you guys survived the, the storm up there last week? Yeah, 109 mile per hour gusts. So uh, that pretty much knocked the power out for a, a very wide swath of land. Yeah, that, that'll do it. Uh, I'm glad that we did reschedule for this week then because uh, <laughs> otherwise it just would have been you on your phone um, trying yes. to talk to us. So uh, John is the, uh, the president and CEO of Quantum Exchange and uh, actually has been on TechNado before in the past and uh, that's about a little over a year ago. So uh, let's get to know John again uh, with our first segment and rapid fire questions. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, John, this is a five-minute rapid-fire question segment. It's going to take 45 seconds to a minute to answer each question. If you go over that time, Peter's going to buzz you, and then we're going to move on. Peter's going to take our first question. All right, John, so uh, for the people that didn't uh, hear the last time you were on, can you give us a little bit of uh, elevator pitch about Quantum Exchange, what you guys are all about? Sure. So Quantum Exchange is the first commercial QKD service in the U.S. QKD is Quantum Key Distribution. And what we're doing is we're making encryption key exchanges safe in a world where quantum computers are going to be able to break today's standard classical encryption keys. Now, John, it's been a little over a year around about there since you've been on TechNATO. What's been going on at Quantum Exchange? Uh, any new fascinating or mind-blowing type things that I need to get my helmet for? <laughs> well, quite a lot's happened. Uh, we've deployed about 1,000 kilometers of optical fiber connecting New York to Boston and DC. Uh, and more importantly, we've solved the two main problems with quantum key distribution. And that's the distance problem, meaning keys are usually limited to only about 100 kilometers of distance. Uh, and the networking problem, meaning uh, QKD is primarily a point-to-point -point type transmission scheme. And we have created a mesh networking capability. And we did this by inventing the first appliance that marries the QKD or physics approach to encryption with the math approach of post-quantum cryptographic algorithms that's championed by NIST. And we can certainly talk about that a little more later. Now, I know when we talked last time, uh, we discussed how it, it was really designed around these point-to-point -point links where you know, you'd connect two major locations. Uh, but right now, 
thanks to the the pandemic, we've got a lot of people that are working from home, so they're not going to be at those various points. How has that impacted you guys? Are people having to change the way they work to make sure they're still using the secure lines? Well, you know, we we could foresee the need for a better networking approach. And about a year ago, we began designing this FIO TX or Trusted Exchange. And FIO is a trademark name, PH for photon, IO for one and zero. So uh, what we found with the pandemic is that some very secure organizations have been looking for a foolproof approach to guarding their transmissions. Uh, so we've had a lot of uh, interest in our ability to use this FIOTX device to essentially create a hub-spoke arrangement uh, and be able to use uh, not only optical fiber, but uh, wireless communication, copper, satellite, any transmission medium can be used uh, with this appliance. Now, I know that you uh, initially focused your service in the financial industries as well as government near your offices in Maryland. Have you uh, seen any growth in other areas since last we spoke? Yeah, I think perhaps the most interesting growth area has been the fact that our products and services are ideally suited for 5G networks. And we were very fortunate to uh, serve one of the largest telecom companies in the world and we protected one of their early deployments of 5G. And we're now preparing to use our FIO Trusted Exchange appliance to connect Boston and London. So, you know, being able to transmit these keys across the ocean, uh, you could either use a submarine cable, uh, but that would be difficult considering the distance limitations of the QKD, or you could do what the Chinese did with satellites and bounce uh, free space lasers off of the satellite, but our FIOTX doesn't require a satellite to be launched into low Earth orbit, and uh, it doesn't require smog-free Beijing. It doesn't require no rain. So uh, we're really excited about that. Now, this isn't one of our official rapid fire questions. I just want to slip this one in. Uh, you mentioned that you've, you've done a lot of work with the 5G providers. Uh, we actually reported on a story a couple of weeks ago about how 5G antennas are being used for a number of different things, including, um, wasn't it that they, uh, they, they spread COVID-19 COVID, yeah. uh, and the government <laughs> was controlling people's minds with them? So uh, do, you have, uh, do you have anything to report on that front? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's lasers now. The Shooting. 5G conspiracy theories are through uh, the roof right now. He, he said 5G and quantum. I think it's on. It's just. Yeah. I, I think I work for them now. I think. Just... <laughs> <laughs> How are you getting around those uh, those issues of, of distance? Because you said, you know, you've got some technology to be able to do that. Uh, you know, I, I was reading an article about trying to do uh, a transatlantic thing in the past. And you're talking about repeaters or, or what's the process you guys are using? Well, you know, there really are no true quantum repeaters yet. They're probably on the same development track as quantum computers. Uh, although, you know, they're not going to require as many qubits as a quantum computer. Uh, but the way we're doing it is uh, we are generating key material with an optical quantum random number generator. So the key material has the highest entropy possible. We're then transmitting those keys out of band, meaning not in the same band as the data. You know, today, when people encrypt a data stream, they put the key right in that data stream, 
So it makes it nice and neat and easy for people to harvest the data stream along with the key. And even if they can't break that key today, they can store the information. Uh, and then when they have a quantum computer of sufficient capacity, they can then break that key. But what we do is we take the key completely out of the transmission path of the data. And then we create this hive of nodes uh, where you have an appliance. Let's say you've got an enterprise customer with 50 locations. Now just think of a constellation of 50 of these appliances and the relationship between each one of those data links and each encryption key. Well, it becomes pretty close to a zero probability that somebody's going to be able to synchronize both uh, temporally and spatially the, uh, the encryption key with the data. So that's what we're doing. You know, we're, we're taking advantage of the confusion that's created when you have lots of nodes uh, and the fact that you're not putting the key with the data that it has encrypted. For some reason, all I can think of is a snow globe. You exactly. shake it up and there's like two <laughs> flakes that are related and you're like, which one is it? I don't know. Would so. that be a reliable source of entropy? I, I don't think it would. No, not a reliable source of entropy. I'm talking about like some way to uh, like model or provide a thought process because he was like temporally and spatially and I was like, oh yeah, spread that yeah. over there. And so, and then for some reason, I just imagine him grabbing the, the world and then shaking it. <laughs> that's exactly, that's exactly the process that they use. Yeah. Well, we actually have some, some other uh, news related to uh, quantum technology and we actually saved it uh, to talk to John about uh, it's the big news this week. And now, the news. So it's actually the news from last week, but we did save it because of the hurricane, so just bear with us on that one. Um, but this is actually from a website, uh, repub.li. Uh, the U.S. Department of Energy releases a blueprint for a domestic quantum internet. So I understand now, you know, quantum computing a little bit and, and you know, what, what you're doing in terms of, of the keys, but what, is, what exactly is a quantum internet? Does that just mean it's, it's running over fiber, or what, what are we talking about here? Well, you know, I think this announcement was particularly interesting because it underscores a, a more fundamental issue that I'd also like to talk about, but l let me address this directly. So, um, you know, the Quantum uh, Information Act uh, set aside funding uh, now for two years uh, for three agencies, uh, the NSF, National Science Foundation for funding university research, um, the Department of Energy uh, because of critical infrastructure, and the Department of Commerce, which uh, NIST is a part of. So, you know, the Department of Energy uh, comes out with this recommended blueprint, which is all physics based. You know, it, it's optical fiber, it's quantum repeaters. And, you know, uh, to have a true quantum internet, you have to have a quantum repeater that is able to uh, boost the optical signals without changing the, um, you know, the, the actual state of the photons. And that's tough to do. That's the primary mechanism that protects you uh, from someone trying to steal your key when it's a quantum key. But 
if you're using, um, you know, sort of a small quantum computer, which is what a quantum repeater is, uh, it's you have the ability to do that. So Department of Energy uh, envisions a world where physics will dominate uh, the quantum space and Department of Commerce, NIST specifically, envisions a world where mathematical algorithms uh, will be the standard. And, you know, for many years now, 45 years, Department of Commerce and NIST have come up with standards that uh, we've used successfully. Uh, but, you know, the, the game is changing and uh, it's going to be harder to, uh, to fight quantum computers. And I like the saying, fight quantum with quantum. And that's why I believe having a physics approach like the one espoused by Department of Energy for their blueprint um, makes a lot of sense. But there's something even more uh, uh, fundamental about this. And that is, uh, if you go back into the early 2000s, uh, when we were graduating from antivirus as the only cybersecurity uh, product, uh, we started to define what was called a defense in depth strategy. It was recognizing that not one technology could protect you completely and that it was wise to have multiple technologies protecting you, but multiple technologies that failed in different ways. So, you know, that's why the idea of having a physics and a mathematics approach that's married together makes a lot of sense because the failure mechanisms will be completely different for a post-quantum cryptographic mathematical algorithm and for a, a quantum key type approach. All right, now I, I kind of wonder, and let me get your opinion because you are uh, uniquely positioned to, to know this answer. The word quantum is getting thrown around these days as part science and part marketing jargon. And so, you know, we hear it used in a lot of places where it's probably not appropriate. So when I see articles like these, one of the reasons I wanted to hold this article for when you were on the show is it's hard for me to gauge how realistic this is. So, you know, what they're proposing, potentially creating a quantum internet, what's the reality of that? Is that something that we would likely see in the next five years or is this 10 years out or is it strictly theoretical and we can't even come up with a time frame? Well, you know, I think it's on the same uh, time horizon as uh, building a quantum uh, computer that's capable of breaking uh, a large uh, mathematical quantum key. So I think it's more in line with a three to five year time frame. And let's face it, the infrastructure that's time consuming to deploy is the fiber. And what we have in the United States is plenty of dark fiber. You know, we're using a thousand kilometers of it right now. So, uh, you know, this is looking at uh, somebody like a Cisco or a Juniper or a Fortinet that can suddenly make a quantum router or a, a quantum uh, firewall. Uh, and then, you know, the, the history of building the internet goes back to those days where Cisco was uh, deploying routers everywhere. So, you know, being able to realize a quantum internet is not so far-fetched. And I don't think it's uh, anywhere near 10 years in the future. You know, I think uh, I think we're way ahead in terms of where people thought we would be 
even with the pandemic. So, um, you know, I, I think that their blueprint is potentially workable. It, it may need modification, but I do think you can uh, expect to see that within the next three to five years. Well, speaking of being way ahead, like you said, you you guys have made some uh, big advancements recently. And so, you know, there may be more people that want to find out about quantum exchange. So what's the best way for them to reach out and get a hold of you? Well, I would say uh, looking at our website, uh, which is quantumxc.com. And, uh, you know, we're pretty active in social media, on LinkedIn. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we have... Uh, usually something every week that uh, is in the news that we comment on. Um, so I would recommend those avenues. Perfect. And is there anything else coming up for you guys? Uh, you know, I know a lot of people are doing virtual uh, events and things like that, but anything uh, on the horizon for you right now? Well, I think we're in the midst of writing a white paper on 5G um, systems and how to protect them. Uh, so we'll be exposing that on our website soon. And, um, you know, just keep in touch with, uh, with what's happening in the news in the world of quantum and quantum safety. Um, you know, one of the big things we're trying to overcome is quantum literacy. And uh, the more we can help educate, uh, the better. Yeah, so yeah, Don was saying that you you know there's confusion about what is quantum and, and what isn't quantum, and uh, and I'm sorry as a marketer uh, for being partially responsible for the <laughs> quantum I, illiteracy. I, I will say <laughs> that we're overcoming quantum literacy. That seems like a pretty tall order. <laughs> uh, I'm not gonna lie. I feel like that internet's gonna come online before you figure that out. Okay, shoot for the stars, Justin. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> well, you are officially our quantum guy, um, John. So next time uh, there is big quantum news, we will uh, definitely reach out to you. But you, and still, you got to put that uh, that direct line down to us here in Florida, if you and, could. And he may be here, and he may not. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we hope to expand nationwide. So uh, we'll look forward to seeing you in a year or so. Perfect. Coming soon. Uh, hey, we want to let you guys know about uh, some other stuff coming soon also from IT Pro TV. We've actually uh, got a webinar uh, coming up about the top five DevOps myths destroyed, and Justin's going to be doing that uh, with Joe Peacock on Thursday, August 20th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you want to head over to itpro.tv slash webinars, you can find the uh, uh, all the information about registering for that. You can also see all of our past ones. We just did one, uh, Don did last week, about three things you need to know before starting your own IT business with uh, Tom Lawrence uh, and all the other uh, archived webinars that are over there at itpro.tv slash webinars. Uh, and also when you're online, head over to go.itpro.tv slash technado. You can get a 30% off coupon code for your personal account. You can also get a seven day free trial. Uh, you can find out about the business plans as well and re uh, request a demo to see all the cool things that are available to businesses. Uh, that's available at go.itpro.tv slash technado. All right, John, well, thank you again for, uh, for taking the time to join us today, and I'm glad you guys were able to weather the storm last week. Well, thank you very much. Have a good day. Yeah, you too, and, uh, and thank you uh, to the crew in here uh, locally. We had a lot of great stories today, so I appreciate uh, your insights as well, guys. Thank you. And uh, thank all of you for watching, and we will see you next week right here on Technated with Don Pazette. Bye-bye.